down there, you know, graffiti. You know what is a graffiti? Well, that's that spaghetti, you know, that they use with the spinach. It's really good. It's, uh, I see down there, it says, marijuana causes omnipotence. <laughs> you have to think about that. I know it's kind of tough at times. It's like the guy, I, I, there's a new, uh, there's a new rock group called, uh, Eddie Current and the Iron Losses. You see that it requires a certain amount of technical knowledge for you to understand that. It's, uh, did you hear, hear, hear about that other rock group, Moriarty and the Speckled Band? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, look, I don't make the news. I just report it for crying out loud. I... I, uh, you know, after all, you know, we are but corks floating in a vast sea. We are, we are pawns and victims of enormous forces over which we have little or no control. It's like howling solar winds moving, moving, moving from the far-flung galaxies, tossing you back and forth like a bobber, you know, floating over a couple of poor old speckled bass. I hear somebody, somebody also uh, has a... No, that can't be. It says there's no truth to the rumor. I'm spiking rumor that next year's yellow pages will include a new classification. Scandal-ridden agencies. Reset that, please, if you will. I, I, uh, tonight we have a very important problems here we have to face. Otherwise, I see a guy out in Preston, England, uh, hit a kestrel. You know what is it, a kestrel? Well, I'll read you the piece. It says golfers will be able to see a stuffed kestrel in the clubhouse at the Preston Golf Course. Sir Alan Robinson accidentally killed a seabird with a number five iron shot. Uh, he was, it's a number five iron. You've used a number five iron while well, he hit the seabird. And he, he said, I'm, I'm having it stuffed. He said, I'm having it stuffed. I want to keep it. He said, because actually, you know, I hit him on the wing, which uh, gives a little English sporting. He did not, it was not a sitting shot at all. And uh, the, <laughs> the idea of oh, this is pure England. Because uh, that's, that's, England brings a sense of sportsmanship uh, even to unsporting events. Uh, this is the essence of the English, uh, the English way, and uh, the idea that the bird was flying was much more important. Uh, and then, incidentally, one of my readers uh, uh, sends me a note. He says, "Shepherd," he said, I, "I hope that you do an essay on this." He said that we seem to be entering another monkey phase on television. Uh, you probably noticed this is sickening development. Uh, it is quite true. There's a TV. Did you see a TV show co-starring a monkey? Is there such a show? There is, huh? I'm sorry to hear that. I, I, I uh, don't keep up my uh, research into that. Uh, you see, there's certain... <laughs> nothing is worse than unpop pop art. Uh, you know, when you make a game try to become part of the pop art world and you become unpopular even in the pop art world, it's kind of depressing. I, I, uh, I never even liked Jay Muggs. What was his name? Jay something Muggs? Yes, that's right. I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna bother to have his name correct. Uh, uh, there, there are certain people who like the look of you know just monkeys sitting around. In fact, uh, uh, that reminds me of the news world. 
Now, I, I, I don't want to, I don't, don't, don't make any cause and effect relationship there, though, but uh, uh, one of my, uh, I think about a year ago, I did a whole show on, on, the, on the new type of news which we will be seeing. You know? Most news these days uh, has an element of comedy to it. You've probably seen one channel here in town where the newscasters yak it up, you know, they submarine is lost off the coast of France, and they yak it up, and then they say, well, that reminds us, speaking of bad weather, bring in Uncle Tex here. Tex laughs it over, you know, there's a couple of rig, real ding-dong uh, tornadoes hit the state of Kansas, and then he passes it back to Bowton, you know, and he talks about the seven ball players uh, bombed the club headquarters, and he laughs that one off, and then they go on, say, uh, <laughs> well, you've seen that, haven't you? It's all part of the new showbiz syndrome, where everything is part of showbiz, and it must be... Uh, it must be uh, laughed up. Everything has to be yaks today. No question about it. We're living in the... Speaking of yaks, uh, I, I, uh, I'm i a pilot, you know. I love to fly an airplane. And uh, when you fly airplanes, you begin to uh, begin to get a sense of something that uh, most people only guess at. Uh, that's true. Uh, flying an airplane can ultimately cause you to become... Uh, almost deeply philosophical, which is a sickening thing. That's the worst kind. That, 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 once you start getting that way, you are, you are on a direct pathway to total wet blanketism. And uh, if there's anything you, uh, you don't want to be is a wet blanket. By the way, I think that's a minority group that really gets bad mouth, the wet blankets. I, I, uh, I, I've known some really good wet... You know, what is a wet blanket? Well, a wet blanket, this is the Cassandra Syndrome. Uh, what is a Cassandra? Well, a Cassandra, somebody sits over in the corner and says, Oh, boy, I've seen this before. I give us 12 minutes, and uh, the ball game's over. And everybody says, Oh, listen to that idiot. Why do we Why do we invite this guy to the party? And 12 minutes later, of course, the sound of sirens can be heard outside, and five minutes later, the whole crowd is thrown into a wagon. And, uh, of course, the one that gets clubbed is generally Cassandra. He's the one. <laughs> but uh, uh, the reason that the, the Cassandras have never been popular is that they're always right. Uh, the essence of a true good Cassandra is the rightness. You cannot be a seer and be wrong continually. Uh, not and have you come, you know, they're not going to have you back on the Johnny Carson show if your last five prognostications laid eggs. And, of course, it's not easy to lay an egg if you're a true prognosticator. How many of you read The Wishing Well? You know, like in a paper. You know, the, the wishing well where you look up your your uh, your birth date that says if you were born, say in July, it says this is a good day to tend to your to your financial affairs. Be careful about your love life, that kind of thing. Well, uh, I, I I looked up my wishing well today. I always I always keep you see I, I'm I'm the type that never I always I always say you never can tell. Uh, that's that's an original with me. I, actually, I don't I, I don't like to brag, but that's one of the uh, you know it's just one of those things. It's been original with me. I, I came out with that some time ago. It's been copied since, but uh, I, uh, I, uh, I I say you never can tell. I, I, years ago, I, I uh, you know people used to put down the devil. Used to say the devil. Uh, you know who believes in the devil. Have you noticed the devil's having a hell of a comeback? I may use the expression badly there, but <laughs> I couldn't help it. But uh, the devil is really making a comeback, which uh, 
you know, which uh, I suppose follows. Uh, everything uh, goes, they say it's there, uh, everything is cyclical. Eventually, there will be a school of phrenology that will break out. They haven't discovered that yet. Now, for, for those of you who don't know what phrenology is, uh, uh, phrenology is studying the bumps on the head and discovering character traits through the bumps on the head. See, uh, the idea being that every part of your brain controls a certain characteristic, a trait. So right back of your left ear, for example, right, right over your left ear and above it is the fidelity trait. Right above your left ear, did you know that? If you feel up there and if you've got a bump there, that means you're a very, very trustworthy person. Now, if you've got a little concave place there, like a hole there, look out. Uh, this is true. Now, if you go just above that, now wait, now, I'm, I'm, tonight I'm, I'm introducing you to this very, very elusive and highly exciting science. It is a science. Now, if you go above that point, now if you go directly above the left ear and move a little bit forward, move a little bit forward now, that's right. Feel there? All right, about an inch and a half above the left ear. Now, what is this? This is your fortitude area. Now, if you've got a big bump there, that means you're a fool. I mean, if it bulges out, that means you're just going to walk right into the electric fan one day. That, that means uh, you, you've, you've got an ex excess of fortitude, which could be translated, you're a silly, impetuous knave, a fool, and that you're about to get run over by, uh, you know, who knows what, because you walk right out there. Now, if you've got a concave position there, you are probably... An ex-draft dodger and spent a lot of time in in, uh, in Canada last year, <laughs> and have thought seriously of going to Sweden. You're, uh, well, incidentally, that reminds me. Every time an election comes up, uh, speaking of that area of life, every time election comes, ever since I, uh, as long as I can remember, all the way back to when I was a kid, every election there are large numbers of people around me who say, "If Anx gets elected, I'm leaving the country." How many times have you heard that? Well, are you aware that that was said 15 minutes after George Washington was recommended for the first presidency? Did you know that? Did you know that several guys jumped up and threatened to leave the country, and one of them did, as a matter of fact. And uh, he went to Haiti, if you're curious. <laughs> How this country's going to hell and damnation, putting these generals in. It's the military-industrial complex, Washington. Well, uh, Washington... Uh, Washington uh, took it all in good stead, you know. And, and uh, by the way, speaking of that, you want to hear more about your head? Okay. All right, honey, I know, I know. Speaking of your head now, now go up go up above. Your, you're like Jerry. You keep doing this. I have to always say, I see your signal. <laughs> Do it once, honey. I'll get it. I've never missed a signal yet. All right, now, another thing now. If you want to go up above and go above that point now, say so go three inches directly above your left ear. Three inches. All right, now you got it? Now go directly forward of that one inch. You know what that is? That's the procrastination center. Now if, if uh, now what is this, a procrastination center? You feel it there? Now move your hand back and forth. Does it go in or does it bulge out at that point? Well, each one of you, I'm sure, has a... Anybody who probably is awake and listening to the radio at this hour probably has a large bulge there. No doubt you put off almost all the important decisions of your life. Uh, in fact, have not reached a decision since, oh, my, maybe you were 12. 
And <laughs> there are a lot of people who have been able to do that. And, uh, and this is the procrastination center. Now, now, if, if, if you move one and a half inches in towards the center of your head from that, right parallel, right in, see, you know what this is? That's the perspic- That's the, uh, the persiflage center. That's the sneakiness. If your head bulges out there, look out. That's the sneakiness center. Right there, right there. That's where it comes from. Sneakiness. Yeah. Which reminds me, this is WOR New York, and uh, and you, you you just can't you just can't uh, this this is called phrenology. Now there's an <laughs> phrenology. Did you ever hear of orbology? Orbology. Any any of you hear of that? The fantastic uh, science. These are all sciences, by the way. I am predicting at this point we'll come back strongly, since we are now entering a new age of barbarism. And uh, what with witchcraft making a fantastic comeback. And they're now teaching courses. You know, at one university in Denver, uh, it is now a three-credit-hour course, witchcraft. And did you hear the thing I read the other day on it from the catalog of this university? You have to pay $15 for materials used in witchcraft laboratory experiments. I mean, you know, after all, powdered bat's wings don't come cheap anymore. I mean, you don't just go out. You know, there's places you have to buy. It used to go out and get your own, you know, back in the old days. But now, I mean, you buy this stuff all neatly packed. It comes in plyofilm bags. Uh, you can, uh, you can, <laughs> that's part of it, see. It's not easy to get Chinese punk either when you have to light this stuff up. You know, the Chinese have been very chintzy about sending punk over ever since they went to Taiwan. They don't draw much punk in Taiwan, uh, which reminds me, we have a couple of commercials. Now, wait a minute. No, the word punk doesn't have anything to do with a commercial. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Here's uh, the first commercial here. It's of her flying birds. And uh, hey, that reminds me. I was going to do a thing about that tonight. But uh, nevertheless, uh, if you haven't bought your flying bird, you better get on a shtick here, friends. Which is, it's, it's, that was a selected word. Shtick, of course, is a New York generic word, meaning how a guy gets elected. He uses a shtick. Uh, a shtick may be a cute smile. That may be your shtick. Uh, your shtick also may be insane uh, sarcasm. Sarcasm is the last refuge of the true scoundrel. That's a Shepherd original, by the way, in case you're curious. You can use it in the exam if you want. However, if you're interested in these flying birds, uh, they're great. Uh, you just wind them up, and uh, it's a, it's a based, it's an ornithopter, in case you're curious. I'm sure you are. An ornithopter is a machine that flies using the techniques of the bird flaps its wings. Now, uh, uh, a fishathopter is a boat that has fins that flaps its... Yeah, it's a, that's, a, that's a piscathopter. And uh, no, 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 it's not, uh, that was not obscenity. That's just a pure use of a Latin phrase. And uh, I'm not going to go into that. It's, it's, it's beyond the course limits this time. However, if you'd like to try one of these flying birds, they're fun. They really are. And you wind them up, and this thing will take off and fly even better than many birds. And it's guaranteed. It's uh, $3.98 per bird, and you have your choice of the white dove or the yellow bird. Just kind of nice. Uh, New York State residents, of course, add tax. This is a mandatory thing. Just add tax to anything here in New York. Uh, send check or money order to Flying Bird, Department S, Post Office Box 199, Grand Central Station, New York, New York. Zip 1017. And we also have a 
commercial here for uh, the book Fine Club. <laughs> here's, here's what I call uh, unconscious. Uh, you know, they name commercials. Whenever you get commercial copy, uh, did you know that the commercial copy usually has a little name at the top tells you what the commercial is, the name of the commercial. This one's called Belly. This is the Belly commercial. And uh, it starts out by saying, Did you ever eat in bed and laugh so hard that peanuts rolled off your belly? A sickening thought. Or get so absorbed in the book, you forgot to set your alarm clock, et cetera, et cetera. These are, you know, commercial problems. One thing about commercials today, they set up uh, problems and then proceed to defeat them, in spite of the fact the problem has never existed in real life. There's one commercial today. Have you seen the commercial where the guy, TV has a lot of these. Uh, for one thing, I've never known anybody in his life to suffer from, in, uh, from uh, an excess uh, amount of and a uh, pernicious amount of tea stains. But if you notice, tea stains are very big in TV commercials. The stuff to take out tea stains. Have you ever net, yet not once seen a tea stain in any sink I've been around? But I know a lot of products that can take it out in case you get a tea stain, right? <laughs> yes, indeed. There's one commercial I think is great, but the guy says, oh, boy. I've been driving these winding roads all day today, and I will never get to sleep tonight. And the lady says, uh, yes, uh, well, I, I've just got something right here in my purse here. She gives him these knockout drops. And uh, she says, uh, you don't know why she's carrying these uh, these Mickey fins around with her. You know, she's slipping them into people's drinks, no doubt. But she has this stuff. Now, that is a non-existent TV commercial. In real, a non-existent problem, in real life, it's exactly the opposite. When you drive twisting roads all day, all you can do is flop into bed and sleep for six months, right? But on TV, it makes you stay awake. So you got to remember, that's part of the TV commercial scene. And if you'd like to join the Book Fine Club, I think you'll find it very, uh, very advantageous. So a lot of you people have been writing me and asking me where the hell you can buy books. This is very, it's very difficult to buy books in this country. Since most of bookstores have given themselves over entirely to selling Snoopy sweatshirts. They do not sell books any longer. They don't have room for books. So I would suggest that you try the Book Fine Club. Call them now, MU72552. They'd be glad to put you on the rolls. Fine, good. Now, uh, hey, you know, uh, if I may, uh, you know, I... I, I uh, <laughs> did you see today in the news, if I... Uh, you know, I, had to, I, I was watching... Something fascinating to me. Uh, in England, uh, they, uh, of course, the Englishmen have always been uh, interesting in that way. Uh, in England, see, they have a kind of curious, uh, how can I say it, the worship of the past, but in a curious way. In England, a guy, if, if a guy has an old car, he literally worships it. An old car in England is a, is a rich family heirloom. And it is pampered, and and, uh, and uh, in fact, every tap at knock is 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 worshipped. And the fact that it burns uh, burns kerosene, and uh, the thing rides like a wagon, uh, that that even makes it more valuable. This is this is all part of the of the worship of the past, because after all, the past was hard, right? And any time you have a house that really really blows smoke in your face, I, I stayed in a house one time in England. Where they had yes, and there was a everybody was very proud of this house. It was made in 1510, and it was made apparently out of uh, out of hog dung or, dung or something. They had pressed it into bricks, and it had a very strange, highly aromatic aroma about the house. 
Uh, yes, it was. It, let's put it this way: the house was quite heady, and uh, they were very proud of this house. In spite of the fact that the ceilings were three and a half feet high, you couldn't walk in the house unless you bent over. Everybody living in England at the time was about two feet and a half tall, and they, of course, at that time, dyed themselves blue. So uh, uh, th that was okay. And uh, since most of the people lived in the pig pen in those days, in those, in, anyway, it didn't make any difference, uh, the smell of the, you know, the, the pig dung bricks. So everybody's walking around in this place bent over. And uh, so... Uh, the, the uh, manager of the place there, he was very, very proud of the place. He said, who would have a fire in a fireplace? We should get a little chill off. And so we're going to get the chill off. So he lit a fire in the fireplace. Well, it was fascinating. Uh, in spite of the fact that the fire never got started and they couldn't get it going, there was a fantastic amount of smoke. It did not have a fire, but it had a hell of a... You know that old expression, where there's smoke, there's fire, forget it. I know of many places where there's plenty of smoke and no fire at all, and uh, nobody could, uh, no heat came out of anyway, but the smoke all came out into the rooms. So everybody walked around, bent over, with great billowing clouds of peat smoke. I don't know whether you've ever smelled peat smoke burning. <sighs> Boy, it'll make your teeth turn green, I'll tell you. And uh, everybody sat around, and we ate these, these scones, which everybody was very proud of the fact that they were genuine 16th century scones. They've been preserved, and, and uh, we, we enjoyed the scones, and we sat there. The only thing that was good was that they had, uh, they had this ancient brandy, uh, which uh, was like any other brandy. You drink this brandy, it'll do whatever brandy ever did. That's indeed. Uh, next thing you know, you're walking around in the smoke, singing old folk songs and pinching barmaids, which was uh, <laughs> what it was all about, you know. So uh, anyway, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in this place, and I... I, I, the one thing I like about the, the English is, is the English, uh, they have a great honor towards ancient pieces of machinery. In America, we don't do this. We, 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 we do away with old machinery, and uh, we don't like it. But you see, the English invented the Industrial Revolution, and uh, it's kind of passed them by. For those of you that bought, have bought an English car in the last few years, you know that the technological things have passed the English by, and, uh, <laughs> in fact, uh, there's one car in the market that is a direct descendant of the armored car that Monty drove at Tobruk. It's not much better. And, uh, but they're proud of this. And so, nevertheless, uh, uh, the, I, I remember one day flying into an airport in England. And uh, it's it, it, very different from an airport here. And it was, it was up in, uh, well, actually, it was near Plymouth in England. And Plymouth is a pretty, pretty good-sized city. And we came in on this, this uh, local airline, just a little local. Uh, they're flying DC-3s. And we came flailing in down through the overcast. And, and here below us was this single-strip airport. And it really was a, a true airport. We, we landed, and he, he taxied out. And the, the, all around me was grass which is something you don't see much in, in American airports, just nothing but grass and dandelions. And we made, a, we made a big turn down at the end. We taxied back on the same runway, by the way, we had landed on. They did not even have taxiways. We, he came taxiing back, and the people got out of the plane and walked across the grass. How long has it been since you've walked across the grass in an airport? Well, I walked across the grass, <laughs> and uh, towards this little house that was there, their uh, airport, uh, uh, 
uh, terminal there, and, and we walked across towards the terminal. Me and five other guys that got off in Plymouth, and the plane turned around, and the pilot waved at the passengers when he went back to taxi down to the end of the runway to take off to go to the next town. He just waved at you know, so long. I waved back. I said, "Keep your airspeed up." Very, very good. And he taxied on down, and so I, I, I walked towards the towards the. Uh, was the administration building, a little shack there, seeing, and I, I looked over to the left, and I saw there were the hangars. Now, these were real hangars. I mean, you could just see, uh, uh, well, let's say somebody like uh, like uh, Wiley Post walking into a hangar like this. Did you ever hear of Wiley Post? Well, uh, <laughs> and, and, yeah, I had this hangar with a little, little bulging roof back there, and uh, canvas sides, which I thought was a nice touch. And I walked into the hangar, just completely unannounced, and on the back of the hangar were these three mechanics working on an English gypsy moth, which was a biplane. And uh, they were working on this biplane. I got talking to the guys in the back there, and, and it turns out one of them was one of the airline pilots, and they were, you know, spending all their time building gypsy moths. And can you imagine somebody building a gypsy moth out of like, JFK? I mean, you know, <laughs> the only thing they would do if Gypsy Moth showed up, they'd call for the DDT instantly, you know, get rid of that. But uh, nevertheless, uh, I, I uh, at that point, I realized, you know, there's a whole different ball game in, in flying in England. And uh, and the English and their background in flying are fascinating. Uh, during the, historically, I'm, I've done a lot of reading on the English and flying. During the uh, 20s, it was very popular for elderly English ladies of the Margaret Rutherford stripe, you know, and the Dame Sybil Thorndike and that type, to take up flying in their late 70s. And they would go flailing over their dinner parties, uh, flying flying various types of D.H. de Havilland's, uh, de Havilland biplanes. Yes, they, so I'm telling you, in, their, in, in, in full lace regalia, they would they would go flying over, and there was one lady, a very famous, high highly placed, uh, titled lady, in her late seventies, that flew all over England to various dinner and and uh, and tea engagements, and and she would come and land right next to the canopy where they were having tea. See, she would she'd come drifting in over the trees, and uh, she would make a landing. And uh, <laughs> and there was a famous picture of the time she didn't quite make it. Uh, the lady apparently uh, undershot the runway and landed in the poplar trees. At which point she was hurled bodily out of out of the uh, out of the rear cockpit of her her uh, gypsy moth, and she she landed heavily among the canopies. And uh, incidentally, uh, she she did it so nicely. Of course, the English have a great sense of to do things properly. She badly sprained her ankle, but instead of that, Lady Carrington carried on. Uh, she refused to concede that her, her ankle was hurt, and she hobbled around, drank the tea, and ate the scones. All the while, uh, the mechanic, who was called from the local garage, repaired, as they referred to it picturesquely, the undercarriage of her machine. The undercarriage was repaired, the fabric was sewed up, and by the time the last cup of tea was drunk, Lady Carrington clambered back aboard her aircraft and took off. Now, uh, one just cannot see Jackie trying that. Uh, <laughs> or even Jane Fonda, for that matter. But uh, this, this, is a, this is an English thing. So tonight in the news, I'm watching the news, and here an Englishman has finally succeeded in taking off 
by operating an airplane under his own foot power. You know, this has been one of man's great dreams. Did you know that? This is to, to take off by operating a plane under his own power, a self-propelled aircraft. And uh, now this might not seem much to you, but they built an airplane made out of pliofilm. Did you see it? It's a beautiful-looking, graceful-looking plane. And, uh, yeah, pliofilm. This very thin, uh, very thin plastic material. Uh, it's a very, very beautifully done thing. But here's a picture of this guy. He's pedaling like hell, you know, and he's, he's sweating. And uh, he's finally succeeded in getting off the ground. He, he, he rose to 20 feet. Did you see the film? And he's, he's going down the runway, and all the newsmen are running after him. They're taking pictures, see. And then suddenly he got caught in a cross current, and uh, he's battling for control. And you see him drifting off the runway, and all the newsmen are running like mad. You know, it's, it's kind of discouraging to find yourself getting killed by a model airplane. But they're running off like mad, and he finally makes a heavy landing, and he crawls out. He busts his plane up, but uh, he was every bit the Englishman. And uh, he, he got out uh, limping somewhat, but nevertheless uh, victorious in a totally feckless activity. Now, that's the essence of Englishness. That's the essence of Englishness, to be victorious over dragons. Not over cockroaches, but dragons. Remember that. A cockroach is a real thing. A dragon is an imaginary animal. <laughs> so, so he clambered from the cockpit, and I said, oh, wow, you know. And I, and I saw this a beautiful scene. Said, oh, that's, that's, that's a great scene of this guy getting out of his plane that he built at an enormous cost, and it works with bicycle pedals. Now, this is an age-old dream, and you are listening to, to, a, to a victim of that dream. Yes, now, many of you don't... We don't all have the same dreams, let's face it. I do not have the same dream that Silas Marner had. Silas Marner, do you remember Silas? He dribbled money into his head and yelled and hollered and walked around on dollar bills and cackled. Uh, that's a different uh, dream. That's not my dream. Uh, my dream is not to tread upon the moon. Uh, not at all. I, I've, uh, I've considered Venus. But uh, the moon has never never intrigued me. Not that much. Uh, I, have never, I have never toyed with the idea of climbing uh, Mount Everest. And I've stood at the base of Mount Everest. I looked up, you know, and, uh, you know, looked up there. I thought about it. I thought, well, maybe I ought to go up there at the top. It would be a hell of a thing to tell the boys back at the office, you know. I have a picture of me, you know, with some Sherpa take a picture of Shepard sitting at the top of Everest, you know. I'd be the first guy to do it in Madras shorts. Yeah. <laughs> and they asked me why. I says, well, I did it because it's there. That's it. It's the only reason. I did it because I want to get on the cover of life, actually. But uh, nevertheless, of course, this is a good reason, <laughs> I suppose. But uh, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, you know, about this guy and his pliofilm airplane. And uh, I, I, I'm sure I told this story, but I'm, I, I have to tell it again because it was a crucial moment in my life. You know, you go through periods when you're a kid, especially if you're a male-type kid, when building things is a major obsession. Later in your life, you go through a period when wrecking things is a major obsession, but that's something else. But the, but the building things is a, is, a, is a primary obsession at one point. Now, what do you build, you know? Model airplanes, right? There's hardly a man alive 
who has not sat and sliced his thumb up working with a razor blade trying to build a model of a Grumman F4 or something, you know, with a, a genuine folding wings. And then, then to see it thrown out later. You know, somebody just throws it out, heart, absolutely, totally heartless. Uh, but this, this is part of the dream, is, is to construct something. Well, I'm sitting in the library one day. I'm roughly 12. And uh, I was heavily into bicycles. I mean, I, I was, I was, I had mastered the bicycle completely. In fact, uh, I remember, I remember the first day that Flick, who was a friend of mine, uh, Flick came down the street riding his bicycle, sitting on the handlebars, pedaling backward. This caused a veritable sensation in the neighborhood, and uh, there were four or five fractured skulls when people tried it. Uh, and until finally I was able to do it. Now, uh, that's, that's quite a trick. Have you ever done it? Have you ever done it? Uh, has Jerry Lambert tried that one? Okay, you're listening to a guy who could ride a bicycle, sitting on the handlebars, going backward. All right? Uh, that was, that was, uh, and I began to Paul. You see, once you've climbed Everest, the second trip is, uh, well, you know, uh, after the third trip, then, then you begin to, you know, you begin to look for other fields. And so I had mastered the bicycle completely. And my bike, which at that time was an Elgin. Any of you ever have an Elgin bike? You know, is it the, you know, anything about the Elgin bike? You've never heard of the Elgin bike? Of course you have. Uh, I'm amazed at, at the lack of, of sophistication of my audience. Uh, I mean, really, I, I wonder sometimes whether I'm talking to a crowd of itinerant Yugoslavians who have never heard <laughs> of the most basic elements of human existence. Uh, but that, nevertheless, uh, I, I had this Elgin bike. Flick had a bike called Columbia. Have you ever heard of the Columbia bike? Right. Uh, and Schwartz had a Schwinn. Yes, you've heard of that one, right? And uh, I was using uh, using a tire. I remember at one time I, it took me months to save up to buy mo- uh, enough, get enough scratch together to buy a set of uh, of uh, of royal chain tires. They had chains on them. You know, that is the the thread. The tread was like in the I don't know what it was supposed to do, but it was supposed to give you fantastic gripping power. See, and probably increased your uh, your drag by seven hundred percent. But somehow the idea of having these is kind of groovy. See, so I had, I had all this, all this stuff I had mastered completely. See, and I'm sitting there, and uh, it, I, it, it must have been like the time when, that moment, that moment when, when say Columbus discovered uh, the idea to go to, a, to, to, to take off. That was more interesting than the moment when he actually got here. I'd like to do that play, of the moment that Columbus got this nutty idea. Anyway, I'm sitting there in the library. A spring day just like now. By incidentally, I feel that man is extremely vulnerable in the spring. He can be talked into damn near anything. Any, in fact, as a matter of fact, almost any door-to-door salesman tell, will tell you that the best time of the year for the mark, you know what is it, the mark? Well, if you don't know what the phrase mark means, you are one. Okay? <laughs> you are waiting to be shocked, friend. And you have probably been shocked several times in your life. In fact, there's an old expression among, among, uh, among con men that once a mark, always a mark. 
which means that, that a guy who was conned is waiting to be conned again and again and again. He does not stop. That the that Markism is, uh, you know, it's something you never can change. Like once you're, you know, once you're French, you're always French. You can't decide you're going to be Irish. Well, a mark is born, not made. And so, nevertheless, uh, the best time of the year for marks is the spring. And any, any guy can be knocking the door, and a guy opens up and says, I have this motor-driven potato peeler. And my God, they'll buy them like uh, because there's something in the air, something in the air. Uh, there was a guy. There was a guy. Did you did you see the guy out in the out in the Midwest that got picked up? He was selling transistorized potato measures. Yeah, you just hold this thing up, it goes like that. <laughs> Except that it was pounding holes in guys' tables and blowing up the. <laughs> you know, it didn't make any difference. You know that there's a catalog today where uh, one catalog which I saw. I, I have it in my file of trivia where you can buy a motor-driven fork. It says simplifies eating. It says makes eating a pleasure. Well, I don't know. I, I can just see a guy getting his tongue tangled up in his motor-driven fork, and, and oh, God, it's just an awful scene. I and mean, I just see, can't you see the Allstate insurance man getting a call that Uncle Fred got tangled up with his motor-driven fork? And Aunt M got chased out of the front door by her motor-driven electric slicing knife. And <laughs> got after sliced her down. She's only two feet high now. But uh, that's, you know, <laughs> that's sick so <laughs> thoughts. But uh, nevertheless, I'm sitting there saying, I'm thinking about this, this, this playa film plane. And, and, and I, I, I just, you know, this is a very painful episode. I, I was sitting in the library. I used to go to the library a lot. It's springtime. And Boy's Life, which was, uh, is, a, is a Boy Scout magazine, and which is still... Uh, I wonder if they have a fold-out yet in the Boy's Life magazine. They probably do. Uh, oh, yeah, sure. You know, they're right with it. And uh, nevertheless, uh, <laughs> can't you see <laughs> the Boy's Life with a center fold-out Den Mother this month? You know, Den Mother for June. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, she's wearing nothing but a merit badge. But uh, nevertheless, uh, I'm, uh, I'm sitting there in the library... And they had this book on how to make stuff. You know, Boy's Life made up, they had a book. Uh, it was how to make stuff, you know, for kids, uh, all kinds of stuff. The Boy's Book of Handy Construction or something. And I'm looking at this thing, and they had all kinds of stuff like uh, how to make little tanks out of spools. You've seen that. That's always fun. And, uh, yeah, I don't know what good they are, but you make them out of spools with soap and uh, rubber bands and stuff. And there it hit me, right there. I mean, it, it just, I, I can still see the illustration. It was a double-page illustration that says, convert your bicycle to a flying machine. And it showed a kid on a bicycle. And he was, he must have been good three or four hundred feet up because the shot was above him looking down. You could see houses below him. And here he is riding on his 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 Elgin bike, and he has a pair of wings, and he's going like he's really flying. See, you can see a bird flying next to him, looking amazed. And underneath it, you, underneath him, you can see all his friends and neighbors looking up, amazed and mystified. And uh, and uh, it said, "Yes, kids, with a pair of these beautiful wings, which anyone can make at home, you can you can have flights up to three or four hundred feet in altitude, and you can fly." With, with great ease, using only your foot power, the same power that drives your bicycle to fly over your town. Oh, I'll tell you, that's the first time I stole a book. 
I stole that book, and by by Wednesday of the next week, Schwartz and Flick and me and Bruner are building a pair of wings down in the basement of Schwartz's house. We worked for at least two months building those insane wings. We cut out ribs. We got muslin. You're supposed to get muslin and cover them with muslin, and that you were supposed to paint the muslin with shellac. And they, they were beautiful. They actually looked like wings. They really, they, they really began to look like wings, and they, they looked like wings. That's the, that's the maddening thing about it. So many things look like things. I mean, what is a wing for? It's to fly. Well, I remember the day when that, that beautiful spring afternoon, when we, we lugged the wings out of the house and hooked them onto Flick's magnificent Columbia bicycle. And uh, they, we, we had gotten angle clamps, and we even had uh, struts that went down to the to the to the V part of the frame. You <laughs> clamp it on; it looked great. Only one thing wrong. I would guess offhand each wing weighed in the vicinity of seven hundred pounds. And not only was it impossible to take off with these wings, you couldn't even pedal the damn bike. And I remember Flick struggling around out there and just get it moving, just barely get it moving. And and according to the instructions, you were supposed to get, uh, the way they put it, so many instructions sound so great. It says, uh, pedal rapidly to get a good running start. Be sure to keep the nose of your craft down, else you may stall. And uh, and then upon gaining altitude, make sure that that, uh, you always maintain a lateral stability. See, the assumption was it was actually going to work. And we spent one whole afternoon trying to get off the ground. And gradually the wings began to fall apart. We kept them down in Schwartz's basement. First we used them uh, as targets for the darts. After that, we began to use them to uh, build model airplanes on. We used them as tables. And one day, oh well, so goes the final eternal dream. One day, Mrs. Schwartz simply threw them out. She says, I've had them down in the basement long enough, and we got to... Her, uh, Mr. Schwartz, by the way, collected old tires. And so he had a whole basement full of old tires. He always figured he needed a new tire, so he'd find one down in the basement. And he was running out of space. And Mrs. Schwartz collected ball jars. She was always thinking one day she'd take up canning, which she never did. And so, you know, this is a, everybody needs a basement in one's life. I mean, I suppose you've got a basement in your own mind. Do you ever think of your mind as being segregated into those various parts? You have a, a uh, an elegant living room in your mind where your official thoughts are kept, which you trot out on various occasions. When asked, like, uh, do you love your fellow man? Of course, you trot out your official thought on that. And then do you have uh, another part of your mind, which is uh, the attic, where all the rag bag and junk and crud and non-essential junk is kept. You know, just uh, like the price of uh, streetcar transfers in Washington, D.C. Various oddments of imagination. Of course, then there's the basement, where little bats fly unhindered in the darkness of your soul. This is WOR New York. Stay tuned for Big Lester Smith in the news.